Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Also Sport Podcast. We look ahead to the Indianapolis 500 and ask who will be the winner of the 103rd running of the great race. The 103rd Indianapolis 500 takes place on Sunday with Penske driver Simon Paginot on pole position and a certain someone failing even to make the grid. There have been some amazing stories so far in the month of May, as there always are, and the race is sure to provide many more. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to look ahead to the race and back at what we've seen so far, first is Matt Beer. Now, I guess we don't want to get into the details too much, but I guess the Alonso and McLaren saga has been setting the uh, the internet on fire, and that's quite good news as editor of Autosport.com. Yeah, uh, a big part of me was absolutely delighted when Alonso got bumped out of the race because it set off my little head radar going story, 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 and tons of traffic. So yeah, um, absolutely fantastically exciting storyline to follow. Um, we'll miss Alonso in the race, but uh, that was just brilliant drama at the end of qualifying, even if it had the outcome that probably half of motorsports fans didn't want. Yeah, certainly a great story, and we'll get into all the stories from qualifying in a moment. And we're also joined by Tom Errington, fresh from DTM action, I believe. Yes, that's right, yeah. Back just for this. 
yeah well it's uh, it's always good to get a little get your eye in with a little bit of uh, a little bit of german and roof racing to prepare for indy uh, well let's start off with, with qualifying but i think we should probably look to the front before we get into the alonso story because there are well, I was going to say there's 33 drivers. There are 35 other drivers who are involved. Of course, three didn't make the race. But uh, pretty amazing to have Simon Pagano on pole, given his IndyCar career has been a little bit in the balance recently. There was some speculation about whether Penske would move him on and, and replace him because he's had a difficult time of late. But th- this is uh, this is a, a big moment for him, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Pagano was totally lost last year when the, the new car came in the less downforce and all the rest of it. You saw at the beginning of the year that Penske as a whole struggled a bit, but then Power, Newgarden, they all picked it up. Casanova's at Indy was looking quite strong as well, but Pagano was never able to find a setup that worked for him, and even his engineering crew was a little bit flummoxed by it all, but he's had a winter to reset. He's come back looking quite strong, and crucially, he's coming into the month of May with a real momentum behind him. You know, He's had a win this season, performed quite strongly on the road course, here he is with pole position as well, and he's very much a confidence driver, so I think it bodes very well for the, the month of May for him. That confidence element, the the boost he would have got from the, the manner of his victory on the road course two weeks earlier as well would have been yeah, absolutely incredible. It wasn't just a, a, a first win for a while, it was a first win taken by being two seconds a lap quicker than anybody else in the wet and wheel-banging a series legend out of the way as a proper, yeah, hello world, I'm back. So, yeah, to cut to... Although the road course is so different to the to the super speedway, um, you couldn't have hoped for a, a better way to begin your month of May now that the month of May begins with a road course race rather than yeah weeks and weeks of practice. And we saw what it did for Will Power last year as well. Okay, he was performing yeah. strongly up to that point, but winning that road course, speaking since he won the Indy 500, it really started there for him. He went straight into the month of May knowing exactly what he wanted, what he needed, and through the whole fortnight as it actually is, he was he was super impressive. Yeah, no, you could see how much it meant to him. Obviously, Indy 500 pole is a big deal, but we saw his reaction when uh, Spencer Piggott, who went last in the Fast Nine, when he didn't quite do enough to uh, to uh, depose him from from pole position. Just that reaction and that release of uh, that release of just delight when he realised he'd done it. Uh, getting pole at Indy is is almost worth as much morale wise as a race win somewhere else, and it, it is worth a fair few points now as well. Absolutely. No, it's. It, it's such a dramatic day and it's it, you can see how much it means to the drivers and that's that's brilliant obviously it could all become completely irrelevant when they get into race trim which is the the caveat for Pagano but you know for the next few days during the media tour he's the one with um with the swagger yeah exactly it doesn't uh, doesn't count for much in a 500 mile race but it does mean that that car is is quick on its own at the very least so we, we know how strong that package is and in fact it, it it was a good day for Chevrolet so they locked out the first first four places uh Obviously, Ed Carpenter Racing was very strong. Ed Carpenter himself only just missed out on what I think would have been a fourth Indy 500 pole position, wouldn't it? He's, he's got a, a remarkable record in uh, in qualifying there and right in the thick of the battle again. Yeah, I mean, last year he was very, very strong. The battle with Will Power he had, you know, those two up front were some of the few that seemed to get a real grip on the different conditions and the different car behaviour and performed so strongly. But obviously Power had the ultimate edge that day. Putting himself back in a position again, I'm sure for him it's very much unfinished business. He performed so strongly here, and yet he's still waiting on that that first win. Yeah, Carpenter's put so much into Indianapolis. It, the, the way his team operates um, during the month of May reminds me a little bit of the old days of uh, Tim Menards turning up with a gigantic engine and, and dominating qualifying, except for Ed Carpenter. He's not got a huge technical advantage. He's just got a team that operates extremely well and has a very good setup for, for Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So it's been a fair few years since we've had a team outside the kind of uh, powerhouse group actually winning and 
with Ed Carpenter's cars second, third and fourth on the grid and having been so quick in the race with him last year, they've got to have a, a, a decent shot at springing an upset over Penske, Andretti and Ganassi this year. Yeah, and from the Carpenter perspective as well, he, he talked earlier this year of the fact that last year was one of the first times he could get in the car and not have to worry about being a team boss because he's built this setup around him now where he can totally focus on everything he needs to do in the car to perform. He now knows that system works. He's going into it again this year. They've shown everywhere else that they're improving as an outfit generally. He's, he's in a very, very strong position to sort that unfinished business. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be great for him to win. And of course, he, he has got a few overall race wins to his name in, in IndyCar, so he's capable of doing it. We know he's, he's fast around there. But it is, it is remarkable looking at the, uh, the supremacy of, of, of those two teams, the, the Penske and the, and the, and the Carpenter uh, entries. Of course, that includes Ed Jones, who the Scuderia Corsa entry is a, is a Carpenter entry as well. And just, uh, just taking up the majority of, of, the, of the Fast Nine. Yeah, it's it's clear that in, in qualifying trim, uh, a Chevrolet powered car was was the thing to have, and and those two have been the, the Chevy teams that have been most on top of things. So, I'm just always a little bit skeptical at this point in in a May about how much that will actually transfer to the following Sunday and running in traffic and long run pace and keeping the tires alive as well. Um, there's so much that can just be made completely irrelevant as soon as they set out for for 500 miles and. Okay, Honda only had a handful of people in in the Fast Nine last weekend. Um, Honda only had a handful of drivers in the Fast Nine last weekend during qualifying, but uh, you still wouldn't count out their 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 fastest teams, like uh, particularly uh, Ganassi and Andretti coming through in the race. I love the fact that one of the uh, the two the two leading Hondas in the grid are uh, the Andretti affiliated Harding car of Colton Herter, who's been such a sensation this year, and. Um, probably my all-time favourite underdog team, Dale Coyne Racing, who, <laughs> as a kind of 1990s champ car fan, I always expect Dale Coyne to turn up, be at the back with about 30 different drivers through the year and, and be a kind of consistent, plucky underdog. And it, it's great that now it's a race-winning outfit and fantastically quick at Indianapolis with Bordet the last few years as well. Um, horrendous shunts apart. Um, yeah, the fact that it's it's Harding car and a, and a coin car being the top Hondas on the grid is is great fun. But I think you'd definitely expect the kind of main group for Andretti cars and particularly Scott Dixon who's way down in 18th for Ganassi I, th- I think give that half a stint in the race on Sunday and it'll be totally different yeah the engine side of things is, is very very interesting going into it as well because these are such mature engines at this point as well we've had them for so long and okay we've still got a couple of years to go until we replace them as well both Honda and Chevrolet have talked about how we really are at the, the leveling off point with these engines there isn't much development space to find if you are finding anything it is so so minor that we've seen it for the last couple of seasons that Chevrolet, Honda just have strengths now basically off track characteristics or certain conditions in races now more than one engine being more dominant than the other and going back to a a simpler car means that's showing up a lot more than it did when you had the manufacturer aero kits where Honda had this huge Indy 500 advantage. Now that's gone, we can see just how close those engine providers are. We'll look a little bit more ahead to to the race and who practice may suggest is is going to be strong shortly but we should talk about the the qualifying format because it obviously it changed uh, a chunk this year a pole day on the saturday uh, obviously set the fast nine set positions uh 10 through through 30 and then the last three positions uh, were, were decided the the following day but it, i really enjoyed the fact it wasn't just a one shot pole day because obviously you could then go again either you could scrub your time, take the fast lane to get back out on track or just queue for, for another chance without losing your time. And I think it, it really created that old school 
Indianapolis feel where people could could yeah have a go try and improve their time runs getting waved off that kind of thing it really felt like an Indianapolis qualifying session yeah absolutely I think IndyCar does qualifying formats very well in general even the way it uh, it operates in qualifying on road courses it's not that different to the F1 system but it's with the sort of uh, the, the split groups at the start it's got more of a tournament feel um, and I think the drama it produces almost week in week out is is superb i mean the, the very open field helps that as well of course but yeah i think it's obviously the format had a slight tweak in terms of timing and which hap- which things happened on which days for this year and it really worked it was a really entertaining set of sessions in its own right i think the only thing that was a little bit disappointing ish for me was that the pole battle got rather overshadowed by running straight after the the last row shootout now I think that might have been the case even if Alonso hadn't been in the last row shootout because there's always so much emotion about the teams that don't make the grid. And with 36 cars in the field this year, we had some very real bumping in prospect. It's not like the years when it was 33 guaranteed to be in or 33 and one token randomer who you knew wouldn't make it. It was a proper old school indie bump day. And then, you know, even before you'd had time to finish swearing exclamations over Alonso not making the field the first car was out for pole day now it was it was compressed by the weather but even on the original timetable there wouldn't be much time to catch breath between Alonso being knocked out and the fast nine run starting and um, looking at it from a from a website traffic point of view uh, Alonso obviously has dominated uh, the first part of this week for readership but uh, I, I feel like I need to remind people that Pagano put in a great lap and took pole because not a lot of people noticed that um, if you look at our readership statistics relative to how many were aware of what was going on with Alonso. And I think a little bit more space between the sessions would have changed that. Yeah, I think the qualifying format is a really good antidote to the talking point at the minute where we've had Penske, Ganassi talking about how there should be guaranteed spots for the Indy 500. Uh, that, that removes so much of the drama and the intrigue behind yeah, it. I mean, just no. Yeah, exactly. I mean, especially a bump day back now. I mean, how great was it having Hinchcliffe fail to make the race last year? That was an enormous shock, and that was one of the most popular stories at the time, considering, again, the poll story there with Will Power and everything else. People love the sense of occasion. People love the unexpectedness of it. The fact that you go out there and you've got such a narrow window to make it right makes it one of the greatest qualifying formats anywhere in motorsport. So why you'd want to ruin that? I mean, I understand from a team commercial perspective and all the rest of it, but from a pure sporting perspective, I don't understand why on earth you'd want to ruin it. I've, I've got no response to that proposal that the team should be guaranteed places that doesn't involve swearing. I literally can't, <laughs> I can't verbalise it in any other way. So I'm just going to shrug at it and have a bemused facial expression, which is a terrible way to denote my feelings on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we should probably uh, not let you talk anymore, otherwise we'll have to start start bleeping you. But the thing that I loved was that on both days you had the, this drama, because, for example, the Dragon Speed entry, Ben Hanley, which I had down as a as a certainty really for the last row shootout just banging in that that really good run and ending up ending up 27th so locking into the race on the on pole day was it was a great so obviously pippa man who missed the cut yeah. last year getting through on pole day as well was just just creates brilliant stories because obviously a lot of these drivers won't have a big say in the race they won't be that relevant but just getting into the field from those sorts of positions particularly for these one-off entries these the one-off drivers teams like Clawson Marshall Racing that Pippa Man drives for like Dragon Speed who aren't you it's it's just it's just great for the focus to to be on them and that's it's just that that kind of human emotion and you see the effort that goes into it yeah I mean Dragon Speed is a great example I mean that is a team that is staffed by Weck and IMSA Cruz at its first real race Ben Hanley and Oval for the first time and they put everything together and get that great Great lab together. They make the race. It's incredible, you know. And they've had the news since they're going to focus more on 
on IndyCar. That's absolutely brilliant. Like you say, we're probably not going to talk about them at all during the race, but what a huge sense of achievement that is for them so early on in a series that they are so keen to commit to and make a future in. I think the the cars that end up around that battle for the bumping spots do get quite a nice bit of focus on them. I, um, I find it quite hard to think of who's around uh, sort of 15th, 20th on the grid, but Pippa Man making it in by quite a narrow margin over Alonso. Pippa Man versus Alonso, that's just a fantastically surreal battle, isn't it? Um, yeah, Pippa Man and the the charity involved in her car as well um, is a great story behind that. Um, ben Hanley's mad career involving like Super League Formula back to karting for a bit <laughs> and then making his IndyCar debut at the Indy 500. It's you've you've got some fantastic stories that the the format and the bumping really draws attention to, which is great. I did say I was um, I'd sort of forgotten who was around twentieth. I would put a nod in for Oriol Servier getting a late deal together and turning up at yeah what is he, it's, well it's 20 years on since since his Indy Lights title so 20, <laughs> 20 years into his IndyCar career he turns up once a year at best and he still put it 19th on on the grid which is superb I think the creating the drama even though as you said Matt with the with the timing the the last row shootout the the six cars going for for three spots did kind of overshadow the the fast nine pole shootout that was that was brilliant drama as well just people desperately trying to get out of it and all six of the drivers are in it were, to a greater or lesser extent, quite storied, weren't they? We had several people who'd uh, who'd had shunts during the weekend. Well, most of the ones who'd had shunts were, <laughs> were in it. Fernando Alonso, uh, the crash early in the week, Pato Ward, Carl Kaiser in the Uncos cars, James Hinchcliffe, obviously, who crashed in his uh, in his first qualifying qualifying run, a former Indy pole sitter. Yeah, of course, so it just created this this fantastic tension and and drama uh, no not i think as you said notwithstanding the fact there was this great interest in alonso i think it made for a for a great for a great battle but of course the focus was on alonso and it started to look quite bad already on on the sunday when they were late out for the for the practice session which was curtailed by bad weather anyway and the, the car when it did go out was sort of dragging on the ground you could see it was it was just too low and they they had more problems so mclaren were you know, absolutely up against it so it wasn't a total surprise to see them miss out by by one spot well it's weird though because as bad as it looked basically from the time Alonso stepped back into IndyCar again I still couldn't ever quite believe he was he was going to not qualify you know he his whole build-up was was just completely bedeviled with problems whether it was reliability and the electrical issues early on or his crash or just the rain always seemed to turn up just as mclaren was ready to do something um it was the worst possible preparation for a team that had just been put together um was still gelling and then when the car did run it wasn't especially quick but even so even still going into sunday i was still thinking there's no way Fernando Alonso, a double Formula 1 world champion, and McLaren, okay, McLaren's not in the greatest shape, but with all its history, with all the resources it's thrown at Indy, there is absolutely no way out of these six cars, Fernando Alonso is going to be fourth, fifth, or sixth in a McLaren entry, and and he was, and that is just extraordinary, and it's a positive and negative story, it's it's negative because that's some, that's some fundamental underperformance by McLaren and Alonso, that they just did not get it together and they were not quick enough even when they were borrowing setups and parts from Andretti Autosport allegedly towards the end um, but also there were, there were some amazing laps by the people who, who knocked Alonso out I mean first of all Sage Karam um, beating both Alonso and Hinchcliffe um, you know Dryan Reinbold was one of the, the top teams from the old IRL days and I love the fact that it's still involved um, Karam's under, an underrated driver actually as well but his run was excellent. To, I didn't see him beating Hinchcliffe before he went out, and then that put Alonso right on the bubble. But still, he thought, you know, the Carlin cars aren't going to be 
real threats given how much quicker than Chilton Alonso had been. So when O'Ward didn't make it, that wasn't a huge surprise, but he was close to Alonso. That was quite a nervous moment for McLaren. And then looking at how Junkos had come into the... I didn't think Junkos would even have a car by the weekend. You know, they'd lost... They'd been running around in plain white livery, lost their major sponsors. The last thing you need in that situation is an enormous car-destroying shunt. That's exactly what Kyle Kaiser had. Um, they made it to the weekend against all the odds. And then... But you still thought that there's no way this this young driver in this car that's been put back together in this team with no money is going to knock Alonso and McLaren out of the the world's greatest single race. And and he did by a teeny tiny spectacularly story making margin. And it was just it was brilliant drama and real heroism from Kaiser. Well, it shows you should never look away, Indy, because I must admit, when O'Ward went, uh, when he went fifth in the shootout, remember he serves, and I thought, well, this is the one that decides whether Alonso makes it or not, because O'Ward can beat him, and I, I just thought Kaiser wouldn't be able to, just wouldn't yeah. have, to, have the car under him, given the, given the difficulties that Junkos had, and I almost thought about turning it off, and then suddenly you saw on the first lap, Kaiser banged in a 227.7, and you think, oh, wow, this is yeah. actually on it. It just shows at Indy why, why the whole concept, of, I know it's very different to the old bump days, but being bumped out of the field the stakes are so high and you get these these minnow stories and that and that's i think why we have to say although mclaren were always going to have a, a tough task to be really strong at indy with what is their own team they did a link up with carlin obviously carlin struggled only got one of their three uh three drivers into the race charlie kimball who's actually pretty strong around uh, around indy uh year in year out always know it's going to be tough but there's there's other teams that were really up against it, if not more up against it, that, that did make it through. So it's, yeah, just it's just this huge, it, it is ultimately a huge failure for, for McLaren, isn't it? Yeah, when you think that a lot of this, you could see it as a precursor to McLaren doing IndyCar full-time, that really isn't a great starting point in that they had a disrupted practice throughout and all the rest, which means that experience isn't being gained. Yes, they've got the Carlin support, but Carlin is still in their second year. You know, They've had some really good days in their first year. They're still building then asking them to branch out and help another team as well was maybe a step too far for everyone involved. And yes, you know, McLaren were able to rely on a little bit of support from Andretti, bringing some experienced older heads at Indy, perhaps, you know, aren't keen to do the full IndyCar season anymore, but like the, the payday and the thrill of being involved at Indy every year, it just never really gelled. When you talk about how Alonso doesn't want to do IndyCar full-time by the sounds of it as well, it makes it quite hard to see where the future is for them to go here because you've got one team that's quite keen to eventually transition into to IndyCar where, you know, once the Formula 1 team's in order and you've got one driver who's so intent on finishing the, the Triple Crown and winning the Indy 500, it's very hard to see where the, the direction goes from here. It feels to me like if Alonso wants to win the Triple Crown, given the blow to the McLaren aspirations, they said they wanted a permanent team, but this this doesn't necessarily torpedo the idea, but it, it certainly makes it a hell of a lot harder for them to, to justify doing it. And you always feel like Alonso needs to find a ride somewhere else in order to to do it and whether that means him doing a full season with a team or I mean there are some there are a couple of good one-off seats as well you know Andretti obviously you can get him if he can link up with Honda again but they were they were aligned with Chevrolet this time for for various reasons so yeah it considering Alonso has made this his single objective the triple crown is the one thing that he's talked about and beyond that it's just do whatever so for example it doesn't matter if he goes to Bathurst and doesn't win it because it's not part of the triple crown but the Indy 500 has now become a, it almost becomes a career-defining thing for him, doesn't it? So I guess we'll we'll be able to judge how serious he is about being able to do it because we know he can, we can do it. That car 
was was not up to it. If if it was, he'd have he'd have qualified, no problem. You could see how difficult it was to drive. It did look better actually from the onboards on on Sunday than it did on on pole day, and it just looked a little bit easier to get to get into the corners. But we know Alonso can can do it. So yeah, it, I think McLaren need to have a quite a serious consideration about their about their objective strategically within with IndyCar racing, and for Alonso to decide whether. McLaren is really the way to to go to do it unless they go back to doing what they did in 2017 which is have the McLaren entry run entirely by an existing top team like they did with Andretti yeah I think the way that Alonso can win Indy with McLaren in the short term is to turn up at Andretti Penske or Carpenter or Ganassi's doorstep with a tin of orange paint and a Kamoa hat <laughs> that sounds like quite a good way to do it. I think that's that's almost uh, Fernando Alonso's strategy for everything. At the <laughs> but uh, I mean, that does that does raise the question of why were McLaren paired up with Carlin? As you said, a second year team. There's obviously, I guess, your first port of call for Chevrolet teams is probably Penske. That might be quite difficult. But Carpenter, we know we've spoken about how good they are at, at the Brickyard. So that would have been a, a no brainer if they could have made a deal their work. Yeah, and I mean, they did talk to them, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, there's been a strong relationship between McLaren and Carlin, so I can understand the sentimentality of it there, working with familiar surroundings, and there's the trust there. But, yeah, it's not an Andretti. And that's a difficult thing for them is the Alonso-Honda factor. That automatically rules out half the grid, especially when Honda's at its limit supplying engines to a good chunk of the field. You've automatically half the field. Ed Carpenter Racing, you do wonder why that never came off, considering you've got the Ed Jones seats and the partnership there that Carpenter's talked about many times as being really happy with and affiliation is certainly a growing trend in IndyCar now because it's a great way to shortcut coming into the series learning some of the difficult lessons without running yourself into the ground and then you know for example Michael Shank Racing will hopefully go it alone in the near future but yeah it appears that for whatever reason McLaren was not able to pull together deals with some of the more experienced and stronger teams and it looks to have been a very very costly misstep for them. I think slightly in in Carlin's defence because I can imagine There'll be people out there and Alonso fans thinking Carlin's let McLaren down here. Well, yeah, like we've said, Carlin's a second-year team that's doing a very sensible job for acclimatising to IndyCar, which is its first big top-level programme. Definitely. And it's not like Carlin ever said, we'll give you all the set-up knowledge and speed to win Indianapolis, McLaren. Trevor Carlin himself called this an operations and logistics partnership. It was just to make the fundamentals of the, the team process work across four cars rather than rather than one. Um and I think it was it's actually quite kept quite under the radar as well. I don't believe it was ever formally announced that McLaren was working with Carlin. So, yeah, I wouldn't want to put too much of the emphasis on the failure of this on, on Carlin's involvement. But, yeah, McLaren would have been a lot better off if they had done exactly what they did in 2017 and found a team of um, with more experience and not just like shared whatever operations and logistics involved, but shared full-on setup knowledge parts more drivers to lean on. You know, okay, Carlin had Charlie Kimball, who's been around for a while, and, and like Tom mentioned, is strong at the speedway. But other than that, you've got Ward, who's done a handful of races. You've got Max Chilton, who's learning as much as Carlin is. It wasn't exactly like 2017 when Alonso had the likes of Ryan Hunter Ray to tap up and go, "What? You know, how are you handling this?" and, and share advice with. So, yeah, it wasn't the right strategy. I don't, I don't believe it was the strategy McLaren set out to do originally either. You know, they. Obviously, McLaren wants to be an IndyCar team down the line, and I, I massively admire that ambition for an F1 team to be looking around like that and not just thinking F1's a be-all and end-all. Um, I'd love to see McLaren succeeding in IndyCar and at Le Mans with a hypercar of some kind as well. That's that's brilliant. It's 
I love the fact that it's in its 1990s, late 1990s heyday, Williams was also winning in British touring cars with a Renault Laguna and designing BMW's Le Mans winning sports car. That's that's fantastic. But yeah, McLaren's not in the finest shape in F1 at the moment. It's it's doing better this year, but that's a very relative term, and it's certainly compared to its great history, it's it's still nowhere. Um, to be taking on major expansion into very specialist areas like IndyCar, like an IndyCar super speedway race around Indianapolis as well. It's not even like turning up for a road or street course where some of McLaren's just straightforward single-seater knowledge would be more relevant. It was a very, very big ask, and McLaren needed things to go right, and reliability, weather, crash-wise, nothing went right. Everything that could go wrong pretty much went wrong. And so it never had a chance to build momentum, never had a chance to do enough mileage to get the knowledge and experience it needed. It was we I think I feel like we should have spotted how doomed it was a few days earlier rather than thinking, oh yeah, it's not going great, but you know, it'll be fine come the weekend. And then the site on Saturday of Alonso doing qualifying run after qualifying run, and still not getting in the top thirty, and even when he did being knocked straight out again fairly quickly. Yeah, uh, just, um when when I published the story of as qualifying finished on Sunday night, part of me was going just pinch yourself to make sure this is real and you're not accidentally telling the world that Alonso has failed to qualify for Indy when he hasn't because it, it seemed so crazy, it's like look at, the, look at the timing screen again, just like pinch yourself a bit, yep Matt that's really happened, it's okay to hit go and, and put the story live but yeah, this still seems mad. But the thing is, it's it's the it's almost the scale of the failure that's uh, that, that that will just stand the test of time because even if Alonso had, had scraped in and easily, Kyle, Kyle Kaiser could easily have lost the tiny fraction he needed to on, on one of his laps to have not made it through, but even if McLaren had scraped into the race, there'd have not been a factor. There's no there's no sign that the car would have been competitive in in race trim. So it's it's not like the the failure to qualify in itself is is the only element of failure. They're just just struggling massively. Yeah, I mean, if they'd got into the race, you would still have inevitable comparisons to what Alonso did in, in 2017, where he led laps, he was in contention till the engine failure. Yeah, for a new team, they were never, ever going to reach that level. But inevitably, the comparisons would be, why has he stepped back from a seat with that much potential to go to this new setup team that isn't going to do that? I don't know. I, I did feel a little bit like if they'd got in and had... Yeah, even to make really good use of carb day and use that Andretti setup and, and kit the following weekend, have a week to like go through the data more. Alonso's such a racer as well. Okay, you can't be pulling off outbreaking moves on an oval, but you know, the, he, he handled himself well in traffic and stuff two years ago. He showed a bit of oval inexperience, but he was very promising overall considering it was his first oval race. I could I could see him moving forward, doing something funky with strategy, so even if it was in a very false way, leading some laps just for just to throw the dice and and see what happens. So I think they would have, yeah, admittedly, it could have it, it, it could have been an early retirement or a seventeenth place, three laps down or something. But I do feel like he would have moved forward in the race. We'll, we'll never know now, obviously. But yeah, this this is a fair. This is about as embarrassing as it could be. And like <laughs> the amount of focus on it as well. That the the, the, the very the, it was the very last lap of the bump day session that knocked Alonso out. It couldn't have been. It couldn't have been more dramatic and therefore more under the microscope for everyone. It's, it certainly was a high-profile embarrassment. Yeah, there were certainly people talking about other motorsport embarrassments and where it ranks and that sort of thing. You know, and one springs to mind to me. It's just a bit like the Nissan LMP1 program in the, the high expectations. Then it comes to the reality of it, and it's wow, this is this is really wrong, and it's trying to catch up on something that's, that's doomed to fail. Really, 
I mean, at least McLaren hasn't put out a press release announcing mission accomplished. The yeah, day after, yeah. <laughs> thank God for that. <laughs> yeah, but, that would have been a, that would have been a push. I mean, obviously, this is a phenomenally difficult thing to do. You know, the Indy 500 is is not simple. It's very specialised, and we should give McLaren credit for being bold enough to to go this way, even if some of the strategic decisions that were made, or some of the directions they were forced to go down, even if they didn't want to, have have made it be a failure i mean it's it's a good thing that that mclaren were there and it, and it would be nice if they could if they could go back but i, I do think what's happened here will uh will call that into question because if they were trying to use this as a foundation for a for a permanent uh indycar team it's not a great thing to take to sponsors is it to say look we didn't we didn't make it in so uh yeah very very tough for them but you know this this is in the finest tradition of indy isn't it you know you think back to the penske drivers fittipaldi and answer junior in 95 not qualifying they'd won the last three indy 500s between them at, at that point bobby rahal when he was champion not making it in, in the yeah, old the, yeah, absolutely. the the rebadged true sports chassis in in 93 hmm. there's all these stories and i think this this will be remembered as one of those. Oh, I remember when when that happened to uh, Alonso, and I imagine it'll be easier for Alonso to take, given that he was here a couple of years ago. And there's no question marks over his capability uh, in Indianapolis. He showed in 2017 that he could do it. So at, at least it's not. It's probably. I don't think it's such a personal embarrassment for for him because if the car's not under you, you you can't do anything, can you? You, you just you just drive what what's what's there at a track like this. Mm. Yeah, we've seen it before. We talked about it so many times about Alonso in Indy that the level of detail he puts into it, the preparation, how he can you know, lift machinery by the level that it is. Like you said, when you're watching the onboards, you know straight away that he is doing absolutely everything he can. I mean, he looked exhausted after some of them, but if you haven't got the machinery, you can only do so much. Yeah, I, to to play complete devil's advocate because it's fun <laughs> and it's a podcast, so you're supposed to play devil's advocate a bit. Yeah, did. Did Carl Kaiser definitely have a worse car than Alonso in that circumstance on Sunday? Yeah. I'd be surprised if if that one was worse. I mean, they wouldn't have had many spare parts lying around, would they, for a start? So that was an interesting build of that car, to say the least. Yeah, I, I just, I just, I think you could make the argument that some other drivers got more out of their equipment. Alonso, after qualifying, was very. He did say in in several in several formulations that. Indy is all about the car. You put your foot flat down, and that's all there is to it. And if your if your car isn't up to it, then the driver cannot make the difference. I'm I'm slightly skeptical. I do think some of the some of the driving did make a difference over the qualifying weekend. It may it may well be that I, I shouldn't underestimate the fact Alonso is going in blind with a completely different setup on the car, having had no practice and just putting his foot to the floor for four laps on a circuit he's not especially familiar with. Still, compared to a lot of people, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm being a little bit mischievous to say I think Kyle Kaiser and Sage Karam purely outdrove Fernando Alonso on Sunday, but other people, other people carried their cars into that race, and I think you would have expected Alonso to to successfully do the same. Maybe the car just really was that bad. Maybe his overly inexperienced really told at that point. But I was yeah, like we said about the Saturday battle, Pippenman versus Alonso. You wouldn't put a lot of money on that ever being a battle, let alone an outcome that. Pippenman would win given their respective careers, and then Kyle Kaiser versus Fernando Alonso is definitely in the same territory. But whatever happened, it made for great drama, and yeah, Fernando Alonso, Max Chilton, and Pato Award were the other two who who didn't make the cut for the for the final thirty three. Well, let's that's, try and sorry, I was just going to say that's that is sad for Carlin. Uh, the fact that yeah. if you think Carlin had effectively three and a half cars in the race with the McLaren affiliation, and the fact that it's two and a half of them haven't qualified. That's um, that's a real shame. I'd love to see 
I think Carlin will win the IndyCar races in time, and I think it'll just take a while. And I think it's going; it's, the team's totally going in the right direction with how it's approaching IndyCar. Um, it would it would be good for Carlin to succeed in IndyCar because it shows to junior single seater teams that they don't just have to stay at that level forever. Which F1 is such a closed shop these days. I, I love the fact Carlin's gone. Okay, we'll go to IndyCar instead. Um, I'd like to see a few more teams have that opportunity, and and I think Carlin actually showing that IndyCar is conquerable would be great for that. But I do think it will take years with the strength of um, the likes of Penske and Andretti and Ganassi. It's obviously very very difficult to predict a race like the Indy 500, but but looking ahead, we're expecting the usual suspects to be to be in contention, aren't we? Penske, we're expecting Andretti, Hondas to come on strong, obviously. Uh, Alexander Rossi was ninth, wasn't he? New, uh, Ryan Hunter Ray, who's won the 500 before, was quick but qualified fairly poorly in the end. He was down in in 22nd, but again on race day, we'd expect him to be to be strong. So, if if we had to kind of point at a favourite, which I know is a is a very uh, dangerous thing to do, who who would you put your money on if you had to? At the moment, I think the Carpenter cars have probably got the best raw pace overall. Um, and I think Ed Carpenter is the driver in that lineup with the experience to make it happen on race day. That said, uh, Penske and Ganassi are very operationally strong. You wouldn't see them making too, too many mistakes in a race situation. So I'd be interested if if Penske has the strongest package. I would be really fascinated to see if Pagano can keep it up the whole race because I think it's I think it's best Indy 500 result before his sixth. He's not had stunning form at, at this particular race, and you still wouldn't regard him as a massive oval specialist, even though he has like conquered that to a degree now. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd put money on Carpenter this time. Yeah, I think That'll I'd agree. I think I'd agree with that. I think the one question mark I have going into it is who are going to be the surprise teams that come and play a role at the front. I mean, we've seen. Ray Hall and Schmidt Peets in particular have been positioned as sort of the biggest threats to the the big three in in IndyCar. When we get to the Indy 500, they never seem to be able to to put it together in recent years. This time around, Schmidt Peterson's qualified a bit better. Del Coyne is in very good position with Sebastian Bourdais. Can they do it in the race? Um, Ray Hall's in an okay position as well. It'd be interesting to see if they can join it and make it a real real spectacle up front. I feel like Bourdais and Coyne could be a factor because that team's been getting better and better. Yeah, it'd be a great uh, story. They're, they're, that there is good pace there, and we know we know how good Bourdais is, and Dale Coyne, who was obviously a perennial. Well, as a driver, I don't think he ever made the cut for a five hundred. He attempts to qualify many times, and that for a long time was a team that was uh, that was uh, kind of down the back pay driver fodder. But that that would be a, a sensational story. Obviously, you need you need so much luck to go to go for you. I mean, Ed Jones could be interesting. That's a uh, Obviously, yeah. the, uh, the Carpenter car he finished third in 2017. The yeah. year Alonso did it. Obviously, Rookie of the Year is a is a vote, and Alonso won it. But Jones was was third there behind Sato and Castroneves. So you, you do get drivers it, who turn up and just have a real affinity with with Indianapolis and, and with this race. And I think you, I think Jones falls into that category. He's, um, he's he's performed stronger at Indy than he has in other places. And yeah, again, he's only had had the big break with Ganassi last year, probably a bit too soon. Um, so he's having a, a little bit of a career re- rehabilitation with this uh, Scuderia Corsa and Ed Carpenter entry this year, but I think he could certainly be top three on Sunday. And obviously, the the, the big question is uh, Colton Herter, who did a, did a great job. He's he's lining up fifth. He won in Austin recently, and he's the the kind of uh, currently the, the the poster child for the next generation of IndyCar drivers. I guess you I guess you'd say from a from a strong group and. Again, that's a car that looks like it's it's got the pace to be in the conversation, certainly. Yeah, I mean, it's a good package and a good young driver we've seen so far. I mean, 
Kay Harding have, have really turned around their season. When you look at the beginning of the year when you had the whole award situation and how that team was going to continue, Herter totally banished any of those concerns by winning at Austin. Not only is he won, because you know, IndyCar is quite random. You can have the driver who surprises and wins a race, and then you don't really see anything from them again. But he's been consistently at the front. Now he's got a new challenge at the Indy 500. Obviously, the inexperience will show. I'm interested to see if he can keep himself in and around the, the lead battle at the front. Yeah, he's been fascinating this year. A, a little bit like the pinch yourself about Alonso being uh, knocked out of Indy situation. Um, editing the reports coming from testing at the start of the year and going, OK, I've got to find another Colton Herter picture for this for like the fourth session in a row and just waiting for that to change when it came to the real thing and, and racing. You know, there's some of the IndyCar rules do help the rookies a little bit with bits of extra track time and stuff, which is great. I think I'm very pro of that. Um, but the fact Colton Herter's done it in a team that had all that disruption at the start of the year of the second car not happening was in the press for a, a set of very negative reasons because O'Ward wasn't shy about expressing his displeasure about that drive uh, falling through. Um, but yeah, Hurt has been spectacular. His his qualifying run was great to watch. He's a character as well. He's he's a good talker. He's quite fun. He's um, yeah, he he can appear on a lot of social media clips and be, and be entertaining. I think he's he's the right age to capture a bit of a, a new demographic for IndyCar, which uh, which is good. You know, there's there's some f- phenomenal drivers in IndyCar, but a lot of them have been there quite a while now. And the idea of uh, New Garden and Herter perhaps knocking lumps out of each other in a sort of friendly competitive way into the future and being quite funny about it afterwards that's that that bodes well for this series yeah it's great for Herter as well because when that situation happened he for some reason seemed to take all the brunt because of his last name and yeah. you know he didn't rise to that at all and he's really proved those doubters wrong and showing that the talent he showed in a quite a depleted indie lights field was was very genuine yeah yeah definitely and um uh, I, I was a I was a young Zanardi fan, so f- for me, like Brian Herter was the was the nemesis when I was um, <laughs> sort of sixteen and opinionated. Um, so it's quite it's quite fun for Colton Herter to be the one doing the the spectacular racing um, and setting the series alight this year in a way that uh, his his dad's nemesis Zanardi did back you know twenty something years ago. I think the the amazing thing is how many. People there are you can make a compelling case for winning. We haven't really mentioned Spencer Pickett, third. He's another driver who doesn't yeah. necessarily have the the CV at this level, but you know he's he's been strong and should be a contender. Willpower lining up six, who finally won it. Uh, you know he'll be he'll be chasing for it, uh, chasing his second. Joseph Newgarden, and then even outside the fast nine, you've got these drivers lurking around. Helio Castroneves, who's trying to get that elusive fourth victory, dropping back into IndyCar with Penske starts twelfth. Marco Andretti, who yeah. has had some good runs at Indy and. Obviously, it's not acceptable for Andretti's to win at Indy, except, except, <laughs> except, the, except the one time it, it did happen. But Marco Andretti has finished second there, so he's another one. Takuma Sato's down there in 14th, another former winner. Graham Rahal's been pretty strong there at times. Scott Dixon, another former winner down in 18th. There's just so many of these drivers who who should be in the in the mix. I think Marco Andretti could do with winning Indianapolis to justify still being in the field. Because um, he has been there many years and like hinted at turnarounds that have never quite happened, and there's been there's been another team reshuffle, and it's still not quite happened for him. Um, but he's he's fantastic at Indianapolis. I think a, a win for him would be a, an amazing story because of all the Andretti family's mostly painful heritage at Indy, and and Marco's own slightly painful heritage at Indy, given he came so close to that astonishing result um, in his rookie season and has never been in that position again since. Um, I yeah you know, I don't. I don't begrudge Marco Andretti's presence in the field, but I do think if you look at it completely objectively, it is quite hard to justify on on results. And uh, a nice way to shut everyone, including me, up would be to to win India last. 
I don't think anyone would begrudge an Andretti winning no. MP, particularly soon. No. And if you look at it, you know, he has got, you know, he's got a second, he's got a handful of thirds there. So so he has been consistently decent there at the very least, even if he's been, been outshone by by other drivers. So actually, one driver I wanted to mention is Marcus Ericsson in 13th, yeah. another yeah. XF1 driver. You know, done a quietly, quietly good job while Alonso's <laughs> failed to make the cut. <laughs> There's Ericsson who's, who's just had a an unobtrusive month so far and and looks to be someone who's capable of, of getting a top 10 on his first visit yeah i mean he's made a, he's made a very encouraging start to his indycar career when you think one of the big big questions for him same as rosenvis who openly talked about it being quite daunting the overall training the experience you've got to get behind it as well but ericsson's shown what we sort of knew from f1 in that he always goes under the radar but he, he is a very very capable driver and certainly with the hinchcliffe problems going on as well that really demonstrates just how well he's put it together so far He's come in with a good team to make an IndyCar debut with as well, I think. Definitely. You can learn under the radar a little bit with, with Schmidt-Peterson. It's, it's a very strong team, but it's not a team you expect to win every week. Uh, Rosenquist has been spectacularly quick at Ganassi, but yeah, that, in some ways he's made a rod for his own back with that because you expect Ganassi cars to be fighting for titles and to come in and be as quick as Dixon on single lap pace straight away and yet to have still not won a race like a whole three months into the season you know that seems like a disappointment for rose and chris given how fast he's been um which is you know obviously nonsense he's, he's actually doing fine for a rookie but ericsson hasn't got that expectation he didn't come in as highly rated as rose and chris he's not with a team that's in the spotlight in the same way but he's, he's generally doing a very competent job his, his exit from the indie road course race was a bit embarrassing and a bit early but yeah i'm i'm intrigued to see how he how he gets on in in the 500 i think yeah, it'll be a massive culture shock for him, the same as it will be for any rookie going into that race with that crowd, with 32 cars around you in the air moving in the way it does. But yeah, a top 10 for Ericsson would be an amazing result, I think, and it's, it's possible. Uh, rather than just uh, me constantly naming drivers, because there's just so many good drivers in this field, <laughs> I, I guess we should ask about what kind of race we expect to see. Because last year we saw a fairly flat race, shall we say, because of the way the cars were. It was a much more processional one. 2017 was a more dramatic race. Changes have been made to to the aero and to, a little bit to the tyres as well to try and make it better for, for racing. Do we have a feel so far for, for what it's likely to be to be like? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you said that, Ed, because I got stick for saying it last year. The race was quite dull. But um, yeah, I mean, IndyCar has has reacted. There's been plenty of subtle aero tweaks and changes to the cars. From from the limited bits of qualifying practice I've seen, it certainly looks like following's a little bit more predictable, which was the the key thing. It's not about having a a draft pack race. You know, it's up to you no. if you enjoy that or not. It's about being able to have a consistent car that behaves fine. I mean, it got to ridiculous scenes last year. We have experienced drivers like Castro Neves, Patrick where the car would just step out underneath them and they'd spin out of the race and the consistent thing was no one could really understand why on earth this was happening. No one wants to see that. What you want to see is a proper competitive close race and that you don't want overtakes to be constant slingshots, easy to give and take, but actually see a bit of how much you have to work your way up through the field. Yeah, I'd, I'm, I'd hate to be in IndyCar's position, really. Uh, it, for probably much two decades now how to get the aero package right for an oval so that you haven't got pack racing but you do have passing it's not completely processional you're not having people having the air taken off them in strange ways and bizarre things happening to the car's behavior you're not having aerial shunts there's so many things you've got to bear in mind and keep tinkering with wing positions and add-ons and tire packages to try to make it work and every year as the cars get tweaked a little bit more new things come up all the tire compounds change there's always 
a, another minefield, part of the minefield that IndyCar has to try to avoid stepping in. Um, but like Tom says, all you really want to see, you don't want to see tons and tons of crazy passing and pack racing and it being obvious that someone will just get up behind the car and then just draft past easily. You don't want to see a procession either. You want it to be kind of just right so that overtaking is quite difficult, but not impossible. So there's a bit of drama behind it. Um, I didn't think the 2017 package was too bad in that respect, but obviously everything's changed massively since then with uh, with Aero Kits. But yeah, I I sympathise massively with what IndyCar has to do to try to keep speeds safe-ish and sensible, keep racing possible, and uh, you know save teams from, from themselves to an extent where you know teams will develop to make a car quick, not necessarily a car that's super stable in traffic or provides great wheel-to-wheel racing. And and there's not a lot of development spec in IndyCar, but you know, with what teams can do, their focus will be how can I win this race, not how can I make a good spectacle. They do seem to have had success with trying to keep the cars on the ground, though, because we've seen in several yeah. of the shunts that have happened, the cars have lifted. O'Ward, yeah. Hinchcliffe, for example, but they've, they've stayed the, the right way up. So from that perspective, positive. Although we should say that a few of those shunts were quite familiar, should we say, to the sort of things we saw last year with a just we're going so that that's the thing just makes you wonder if we may see a little bit of the caution again again this year yeah true true in, i wouldn't say indy is not an unsafe race it is a race where big crashes can happen and and the aero package is a bit is a bit critical to how bad those crashes can be it is when you sort of go into just holding your breath a tiny bit to see what what happens and you know drivers have been hurt there in recent years and drivers had some amazing escapes in recent years dixon's crash in 2017 is still high up there in a list of crashes you look at and go how was he not really badly hurt in that how did he walk away from that um yeah it's i like you say that this year we've had big crashes that have not turned into horrendous crashes in practice and and that's good that's reassuring as, as a final as a final thing, because we know how hard this race is to predict, I'm going to get everyone to nail their colours officially, definitively to the master master of one driver. <laughs> so uh, as, to, as to who's who's going to win, just just for a little bit of fun, so we can uh, we'll probably find that the driver who wins it is someone we haven't even mentioned because there are so many things can happen there, and you can get out of sync on fuel strategy, and you know strange things can can happen there. But yeah, if you if you had to have a punt on one who, if if you had to, if you had to put a few quid on it. Come on, Tom, you first. Oh, thanks for the pressure. Um, I said in an upcoming Autosport video there'll be Pagano, so to hedge my bets on this one, I'll, I'll say Bordet this time. Um, oh. Just for be a great story, nothing more than that to it, really, and we know he can compete. I haven't got any amazing reason for why he would do it, but I just have a feeling it could be him. Oh, if we're taking the approach of let's go for a result that would be fun and is possible rather than the boring, I think this one. Yeah, that's much more interesting. Yeah, okay, Spencer Piggott. Oh, nice, okay. That, that ticks like the that box. Bit. Ticks the box of an Ed Carpenter car winning, which is a bit of an underdog, and uh, a young, promising driver who needs a, a, a career break, in a way. You know, he's doing well with with Carpenter, but Piggott's not a name on people's lips, particularly at the moment. An Indy win, which, yeah, he was fastest in, in the main part of qualifying. That that shows he that shows he's quick around here. Um, I will officially put my, my fake tenor on Spencer Piggott winning the Indy 500. And you have to choose someone as well, Ed. Oh yeah. Well, well, I was leaning towards Sebastian Bourdais, but actually, I think <laughs> since you've you taken him, Tom, I'm I'm going to go fairly boringly with Will Power, actually, because mm, I think he's yeah. he's obviously he's got all the experience in the world. I mean, he's Will Power, so something unfortunate will probably befall him <laughs> yeah, during the race naturally. To, to stop to stop him from winning, because he he certainly isn't a driver who has a great deal of luck on race day, despite uh, despite all his wins. But yeah, I think he's he's a guy who needs another Indy 500 win on his and- CV. And somehow, at some point, Castroneves and Canaan will contrive to lead the race for a bit because 
Yep. That's just the romantic thing to happen. Well, you can't you can't rule out Castro Neves. He knows what he's what he's doing. Right yeah, now, he? yeah. And he should have the car under him. That would be an amazing story for uh, for the the uh, the sort of one off, well, two off entry because he did the uh, the the road course race yeah. in the run up to it. But I think that's the great thing about this race, isn't it? There's so many potential winners, and you know, it could be what it could be won just on a, a straightforward race of, of who's quickest it could be in in terms of just fuel mileage remember alexander rossi yeah. winning a few years ago with that that brilliant run and brian herter over on the radio sort of calling him in and saying <laughs> right now you can gun it to the line which is just a, a brilliant moment <laughs> of course rossi's a quick driver around there so yeah, another one, I think. yeah i haven't talked I about him yeah exactly yeah and, and he's going to be a, a, a contender and i think that's the the thing that's great about indy there are different ways to win it and it it is a race where luck can go against you and take you out of contention for no fault of your own. But you can get these remarkable situations. What we had last year, even Stefan Wilson was leading quite late yeah. on, admittedly on strategy, but you never know, just a, a, a well-timed yellow can make all the difference. And suddenly one of these drivers, if you can hang around on the lead lap and just, just hit the hit the caution periods at the right time and be there, something pretty pretty amazing can happen. I think that's the, the great joy of uh, joy of Indy. They always say it's a race that's, that chooses you to win, as I suppose. <laughs> yeah. As a... As I suppose the Andretti family could probably uh, could probably tell you, given the uh, the amount of uh, the, the the poor ratio of wins to to weeks where they were quick at uh, Indy, pretty uh, pretty remarkable. So yeah, I think it's going to be well worth watching. It's one of those races where you think the final part is all that really matters. It's like the last five ten laps. That's where it gets serious, serious. But unlike say the Daytona five hundred, where and I guess say all you've got to do is hang around in the lead packs. Not yet; you know, it's a lot harder than that. But to an extent, you're just hanging in there to go nuts at the end. Indy, you've got yeah, you know, 480 odd miles of positioning yourself and getting in the right place so that you're ready to like gun it in those final few miles. Whether that's eking out a teeny bit of fuel or actually running full rich and coming from third or something, it's it's like a a crazy chariot racing cross with chess game procedure for three hours and then 20 minutes of out and out wheel to wheel madness at the end it's it's brilliant i'm really looking forward to it yeah well, there's every reason to to watch the race and of course it will be covered on autosport.com so head there i presume we'll have live coverage running we will yes yeah. we'll have live text commentary and report straight afterwards and um buckets of news and analysis uh, that night and in the ensuing days well, that's what you want. You want a bucket delivered online. That's what you'll be getting. So yeah, so yeah, do do head to autosport.com. Check out the plus subscriber area where, for a small fee, you can read the world's best motorsport journalists on all sorts of topics. Have a look at sister titles, motorsport.com, F1 Racing Magazine out monthly, and also Motorsport News out every Wednesday. If you fancy a flutter, download the Pit Stop betting app. If you like this podcast, please subscribe for it for free or go to Spreaker and like us on there. You can listen there. Podcast out every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. So, tell me about last night. Well, it wasn't what I expected. It had the perfect amount of spice. Sounds hot. It had all the flavor, and I wanted more. The ghost pepper wings from Popeye's are just so delicious. Wait, I thought you were talking about your date. Sometimes, things aren't always as they seem. Like Popeye's ghost pepper wings that have the perfect level of kick and flavor. Try them for only $5 today. Limited time at participating U.S. restaurants. Price may vary. Tax extra. Love that chicken from Popeye's. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.